0: Hello, and welcome to The Power Dialogue. This is a show that aims to empower a global audience to understand how energy affects their daily lives from perspectives from the industry's leading voices. We aim to help our audiences make better informed decisions that will save them time, save them money, and lead to a better quality of life. I am your host, Zedi Bariti. On my immediate left is Mr. Eric Mwangi, who is the economic advisor to the cabinet secretary of energy here in Kenya. Eric has over 23 years of experience in advisory and investment across various industries in Africa. And on my far left is engineer Isaac Nereva, who is the founder and executive director at Electricity Consumer Society of Kenya. Engineer Andereva has over 15 years of experience in this sector, which is the energy sector. Karibuni sana, gentlemen.
1: Thank you. you.
0: Let's get right into it. Power lies at the heart of our everyday lives, and it's one of the most important, if if this is arguable, you might correct me on this, Is one of the most important input for economic development, and uh, where I sit... Kenya, really, we had uh, we have more than 75% uh, of electrification connection rates, which I believe is a very good thing. And one element that sticks out for me as far as last year is us moving forward in the ranking as a geothermal energy producer in the world. And we, it's, it's a very good thing that Kenya plays in. It's almost playing at the gigawatt club level. So I would like to get your inputs. What are your most notable highlights for the year that has passed? That is the year 2022 in terms of the energy sector, and why is that? I'll start with you, Eric.
2: Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, I think for me, it's it's the the highlight would be the the development and and publication of the energy white paper, which seeks to basically provide a view of what we think the energy sector is going to look like you know, between now and 2040 um, and and kind of give um, some perspectives on what we believe the big drivers of the future of energy are going to be. And that's, you know, everything from e-mobility to green hydrogen. Um, and, and we think that some of these emerging uh, technologies are going to play a very big role in shaping what energy looks like in the next 20 years.
0: Thanks, Eric. Is this a public document? Can we access it yes, online?
2: Yes, Okay, we'll yeah. be
0: looking out for it. Yes. Engineer, engineer and deliver.
1: Thank you very much, Zedi. Um, for me, I think last year, um, I'll st- sometimes want to even put cumulatively the achievement we have had. I must mention that uh, as a consumer, uh, as a civil society organization, uh, we were more visible, especially, especially in the media. And uh, we were, of course, acknowledged by several government agencies Uh, starting with the regulator. I think we have done quite a bit with uh, them. Uh, We've also had more interaction with Kenya Power in terms of if we wanted to get information about what is happening. Uh, Last year was uh, a very good one for the civil society organization that I represent and uh, in general, for the general public. And uh, we also want to take note that uh, there are several other installations that were done in the increase in geothermal. We are also happy that there is a thermo generator that stopped the contract and so there are many things to count but I hope we'll be talking about them as we move on.
0: Yeah okay one unit six thank you for that engineer and Eric you have mentioned electric vehicles green hydrogen I believe it's very imperative that we know what opportunities do consumers have in this green economy what can businesses what can consumers look for so that they can leverage the green economy as we move forward in all those plans that are in the, in the pipeline for Kenya, what can we do to make the best out of the green economy?
2: I think there's, a, there's an opportunity for the country to translate its, its reputation as a renewable energy leader um, into an actual economic advantage and a sustainable economic advantage the the rest of the world um, is bending over backwards trying to reach decarbonization targets um, at a national and, and and even global corporates so so the idea here is one to get educated about what this transition means um, and there there are going to be myriad opportunities um, as new ecosystems start to form um, around supply chains, you know, you have uh, countries like China that um, are now looking to to move to offshore some of their some of their manufacturing because you know COVID has shown that even they are vulnerable. Yes. Um, if you have a lockdown in the whole country, supply chains grind to a halt.
0: The war in Ukraine as well. Exactly. Yes.
2: Exactly. So so I think one is to get educated about it. Um, second is to see where it is that you that you fit into this so i mean even things like biofuels are going to become important um so so there's an opportunity to play in whether in agriculture um whether in synthetic fuels Mm -hmm. um it's it's green ammonia is something else that's that's emerging i think you saw the president um oversee the signature of a 300 megawatt um green ammonia project Mm -hmm. And I think that's just going to be the start. Mm-hmm. Um, so you will see a lot of this, uh, a lot of these ecosystems emerging, and and only if you are educated about what they mean, possibly, mm-hmm. uh, could you figure out where you would find commercial opportunities.
0: Mm. Interesting. So if I may ask, where would consumers look out for sensitization on this and who exactly will be sensitizing us, really, so that we don't miss out <laughs> on this?
2: Uh, I think the classic response is Google is your friend. There's, <laughs> there are lots, of, there's lots and lots of online resources um, around this. There are universities that give free webinars, classes um, on renewable energy and, and the just transition. So, I mean, there's a, there's a whole trove of information out mm. there. Mm. Um, and, and you can apply it um, using the lens of, of wherever it is that you're, that you're coming from sector-wise. So there is no shortage of information on this.
0: Thank you, Eric. Yeah. Engineer, yeah. kindly weigh in on this.
2: Um, electric vehicles actually
1: is something. It's a good direction. Um, only that I have found a few in the social media busting. I don't know. Uh, I'm not very... Um, Familiar with the operation, uh, but mainly I think uh, consumers will first want to hear that what is the pricing. We have always thought that uh, Tesla is an expensive model. Is there a Toyota that is using that? We've seen several hybrids. Um, those hybrids, we don't know how they work. Uh, some of us are hearing that uh, you have to replace batteries after every few years. That is, those are things we fear a lot. I may not have a lot of information about it, uh, but based on our engagement with the Ministry of Energy and the rest, we should be able to come back to the consumers and enlighten them because uh, sometimes, as he is saying, um, con- there's a lot of information out there, but uh, you, st- the- you have to do a lot of mining of data for you to be able to know what is actually important for you and where you need to go. Uh, that is why sometimes it is good to filter out for the consumers and then give them what is necessary. Uh, within a very short time.
0: Yeah, like have yeah. a central repository of sorts for everyone so that we know it's objective, it's yeah. correct, it's accurate. Yeah. I agree with you, engineer. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, talking about electric vehicles, uh, Kenzen is one of the players that have just entered this sphere. And uh, in my previous video, I actually covered electric vehicles. The price is around 6.6 for a carbon. For a cab electric mm-hmm. vehicle, so you have that, and the maintenance is very low yeah. compared to inter- internal combustion engine vehicles. So yeah. you can look it up yeah. for more information on that. And I think as more players come on, like Basigo, yeah. there's been a lot of sensitization on that. And I yeah. think our listeners and our viewers can look up this information because it's yeah. becoming more accessible yeah.
1: and in our reach. But within that context, you yeah. still need to assure. Yeah the mechanics in Grogon that there is nothing wrong with going when electric When
0: you say bust, what exactly busted
1: No it's just, that was just on the side okay. I don't know what busted exactly <laughs> maybe it's the lithium batteries yeah. but here yeah. you the idea is like it to be se- sold better
2: mm-hmm.
1: by the mechanics out there but you need to assure them that we are in Grogon here in Nairobi Yeah um, what are we going to be repairing mm-hmm. Uh, because most of them is cleaning the Kusugua engines and such.
0: More of the service. Uh, yeah,
1: more of the service. That is, it, it actually employs a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But when you bring the electric vehicles, then you mentioned that uh, it's going to be less, you, you need less service. Then there's someone who is clicking and wondering, mm-hmm. I don't have a vehicle, but I survive on the engines of these petrol and diesel vehicles. What is it for me in this Electric vehicles, mm. but maybe I'm worried about the mechanics. But yes. for me, I think it would
2: more be better. Sensi-
0: more it's sensitization on yes. the same. Yeah, yes. I, uh, I think just,
2: just, just it's a, it's a good point. Yeah. Um, and when we talk about the, the transition, one of the, one of the critical areas is the reskilling and the retooling that is going to be required to be able to to take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah. So, so it may be that they don't have. Um, the internal combustion engine work that they have right now, mm-hmm. but they clearly have uh, a skill. How can we re- how can we retool them, and and provide opportunities from, for them in a, in a green economy? True. Right, we are not yes. we are not gonna be the only country that has internal combustion engines True. when everybody else has, has moved on. Move
0: yeah. forward. Sure. Yeah. Thank you, gentlemen, for that. I will move forward to cuts. And some people call them subsidies, really, it's not a subsidy. Last year, we had a a tax cut of 15% on electricity, and this brought down the price of electricity for some time. And this went away in December, I think 31st of December. We don't have it anymore. And uh, I'd just like to get your perspective. What does that mean for the price of electricity now?
1: You want to go faster? Well, um, let me first say there is nothing like subsidy. Um, because um, I don't see the reason why you set a price of a commodity, then you tell me to pay tax, and then you tell me you are going to give me back the tax. I mean, the best would be to tell me, don't pay me this tax. That is a subsidy. This issue of collecting, and then you distribute it among the people you want. Like what happened for the Unga even for the petrol. You realize that you collect money from everyone, then when subsidizing, you are giving specific people. So if it is subsidy, tell people, don't pay this, but I should not collect and then refund you. Doesn't make sense. But well, that said, um, the subsidy for power was uh, subsidized for about eight months, and uh, I reported in a certain media that uh, we, they were given about 26 billion. Now, even when the consumers were complaining towards the end of December, the subsidy was not waived. The only challenge was that there was uh, some increase on the three major components that are very painful for consumers, and that is inflation, forex, and fuel cost. Now, the subsidy was not put on those ones. It was put on the money that goes to Kenya Power. So, whatever the subsidy they are talking about, Kenya Power's price was reduced by 23% and then they snipped somewhere here and there, and then they said that, that is going to be a reduction of 15%. Mm-hmm. So now Kenya Power requires the amount to be taken back before it was reduced. Now, in so doing, already the three components of fuel cost, forex, and inflation is already too high. So whether they remove subsidy or they bring it back, as far as they are not telling us about the three components, I don't think there is any subsidy we are talking about. It's just playing around politically. Okay. That's my take.
0: Is- in your opinion, is there a more sustainable way of going around this?
1: Yes, there is. There is one step that was done. Um, the government stopped taxing, collecting tax from inflation and forex. They are now collecting on fuel cost and the energy cost. That was a good move. That saved 1%. That is sustainable, I can guarantee you. But it's only 1%. The other sustainable bit is when they say, we have removed the IPPs, that are using or those are independent power producers that are using ZAMO uh, to generate because that is where the fuel cost is coming in. And uh, forex and fuel cost is taking about 45% of the domestic lifeline bills now, and they are only contributing about 12% of the generation. So you can see if this 12%, the best would even be to say, we will reduce our power uh, provision by 12% in the country, but then we will get rid of 45% of your cost. Now, that can be sustainable. But then how to get rid of those IPPs that are using DAMO is where the discussion is. It was, uh, there's a team that was formed by the former president. Uh, they were not able to go far because they did not get those contracts. And so right now, the best thing is to say, we don't have a contract with you. So that they can be able to avail the contract. And uh, I think basically that is where the discussion would be. That is, would be more sustainable. The last one would be when the government says, let us not collect the 16%. And then uh, we go, like, maybe bring it to 10% or something manageable. That would be sustainable. And that has to be done through the parliament or such. And, of mm-hmm. course, we, I think it's a good direction we have already taken. We, have, we are in discussion with several members of parliament to see what can be done there. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Uh, Eric?
2: Um, I think my, my take is, is uh, I think, what Dereva uh, is, is, is talking about is, is looking at primary generation um and that's one component and and whenever you see the the use of thermals go up it's because um some of the other plants maybe are down for maintenance scheduled or unscheduled um and so that's that's a natural consequence and that's actually why why they were there in the first place um but i think to if if you look at um optionality around around fuel, Uh, I think it makes sense to to look at conversion of those plants to natural gas, Um, significant savings in in costs. Mm -hmm. But actually, I think the missing piece here is in distribution. And you you are not going to have a low tariff with uh, 24% system losses. So you have to find efficiencies in your distribution. Um, And then those efficiencies can be passed on the to the consumers Mm -hmm. and the question is how do you make sure that those efficiencies are lasting yeah Mm -hmm. that and and they can be defended because i think in 2013 we were down to about 14 15 percent and it was trending downwards um and and i think the short answer is you you have to have a smart grid
0: What was different in 2013 that we could afford to go to as low as 13% system losses?
2: That's an operational question for the distributor.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But then uh, I can weigh in. The challenge that was there in 2014, we were only supplying electricity to people who are using it, uh, and that was 25%. Mm -hmm. Now, when we came to around, uh, there is a, a certain requirement by the Sustainable Development Goal, number seven that we ensure universal access to electricity. In our efforts to take electricity to the small consumers, the distribution lines are too much uh, or they are too long and we are losing more power than actually the power that consumer is going to pay. So we were forced to even connect people who are not actually paying for that power profitably and yet those lines require maintenance. That is where the transmission losses increased. And they are normally different. The highest I have recorded, because they are monthly thing. We, I know we are used to saying 24% losses. It's not constant. There are, sometimes it is 19, others are 26, based on uh, whoever was trying to take more power during the month. Uh, but yes, uh, whatever change is that there was more connectivity and there were
2: less profitable connectivities moving forward. So I'd just like to add that I, I think perhaps we, we need to be careful about ascribing the, the nature of the losses because mm-hmm. we don't have good enough data to pinpoint, yeah, and say, this is, co-, and, and it's this, this, I've looked at these numbers for quite a while. So we cannot say, for instance, so if, if you were to ask which uh, sector of all the sectors in, in Kenya has the highest losses, right now, we, we, can't, we can't give you that we don't have that data. Is it possible to get that data? Yes, if you have a smart grid. And that's why I'm saying, we shouldn't be speculating. Mm-hmm. There shouldn't be room for speculation. Yeah, we should be able to pinpoint and say, this is a problem area. Yeah. We can monitor it real time. Yeah, and you can address the issue. Yeah. So, so I, I think if we want to get an affordable tariff, smart grid is absolutely necessary.
0: Mm. Smart grid got it. Simply put, what does it take to have a smart grid?
2: um a significant investment i think egypt is going through the process now Mm -hmm. um of course the egyptian system is 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 a lot more it's a lot bigger and it's a lot more complicated um but it's basically what you're trying to do is saying i want to be able to account for every kilowatt hour that comes into the system and goes into a Mm customer. yeah Yeah. and i think the last number i saw was something like just under a billion dollars it's going to cost egypt and that sounds like a big number, mm-hmm. but if you imagine uh, the losses today, yeah. if you were to quantify them, yeah. um, that's how you're talking about a three to four year payback. Mm-hmm. So it makes absolute sense to, to, to look at this and to look at this, um, I would even say urgently. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And just maybe to add a little bit is that Kenya Power is moving to that direction. Mm-hmm. You might have seen that they segmented the distribution and the sales into uh, 49 sections. Nairobi County has been subdivided into three. Then all the other counties are having one county business manager. They have to account for the losses. They also have to account for the sales. Because we could be able to see that most of the losses are also commercial. Mm-hmm. People stealing power in slums and all that. So they are putting some meters. If you have gone somewhere and you found something that looks like it has an area, that is for them to track what have they received. And how much did they? So they are somehow going to that direction, but to what level they have managed to do that, I may not be able to report. But Mm -hmm. we have quite a bit of interaction with them; they can be able to give us that number.
0: I'll take you back to something that you have mentioned: the presidential task force report on energy. So we are at a point in the country where we have basically three uh, options: maintaining this IPPs. Uh, the PPAs for the IPPs, yes. or renegotiating those yeah. PPAs, yes. or actually terminating. Yes. And in the recent, recent presidential address, uh, the president spoke about uh, retiring Muhoroni. Yes. So I, I'm not sure how exactly that will impact our power bill, so I'd like to get your take with the measures and... Starting with Mohoroni, how <laughs> soon are we going to see a reduction in our power bill? If any is coming, yes. how does that? How will that really impact our power bills as Kenyans?
1: Zeddy, I like uh, your hopes. <laughs> Mohoroni gas turbine is only 60 megawatts. We have 640 megawatts of them in this country. Remember, out of those, Mohoroni gas turbine is owned by kenyan Then kenyan have a, another two turbines in Mombasa. That is Kipev one and Kipev three. Those are very few. Now, if you retire one, which is 60, that is only 10%. But that, not, that is not the problem. The total generation by thermos in a month is not what governs the price you are going to pay on fuel cost. It is political. Why? Because uh, the price was 4.63 per kilowatt hour on fuel cost. That component. In October. Okay, let me say in, in August. How it came to over seven shillings, it was not driven by the price of fuel. It was also not driven by the number of units generated because they were actually less than the previous month. So it's a political decision that this month needs this money. I think uh, from where I come from, I can say that comfortably. Then again, I have all that data. For each and every generation from each plant, Muharonia will tell you how much it is generated. And we have so many, including Mandera and Wajia. All those data we can be able to get. So when you do your total, then you ask yourself, why do we pay more? Yes, yet there was less generation. Even if you factor in some slight increment in the price of the fuels, which you don't also expect that they increase. It's not like petrol. I think there are heavy fuels that we use, which are not gazetted. So again, that, bit of, that component of the pricing could be hidden from us. So as a result, don't expect that 60 megawatt reduction will impact on anything on your shilling. Please don't have those hopes.
0: So are you for terminating, maintaining, or renegotiation of IPPs?
1: We cannot renegotiate with someone how I am going to be getting uh, half of what I was getting. It is not possible. Because renegotiating may mean you either maintain, increase, or reduce. We are going on that table with a name of reducing. Those people we cannot agree. Now... This issue of maintaining, of course, we are not for that option because we are already suffering. Termination is the thing. In a presidential order of saying, I don't want to see any thermal running. I am not thinking like a ministry, so please don't, <laughs> don't think that I'm too harsh. But it is also possible that during that back at times when we didn't have thermos, there are times we were having rationing because we were being told there is a certain amount of time you will not be having power. Now, what is the effect of reducing 12% on the country? And then, you remember, we signed a, an IPPA with Ethiopia to be providing 200 megawatt in November 1st. Then, after three years, we are supposed to upgrade that to 400 megawatt. What was the problem in signing a whole 600, and then you get rid of the most? At the same time, our geothermal potential in the country is about 7,000, over 7,000 megawatt. We have drilled 863 what is stopping us from drilling more and getting rid of the thermos. So, um, I like the fact that sometimes it's politics, but if you look at the bottom line, you will not find anything. (laughs)
2: Um, In the 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 former CS of energy's last address, um, I think it was mid-August, one of the things she pointed out was that the difference between peak load, daily peak load, and the available power was about 80 megawatts. What that means is if you have a problem in one of your larger plants and you drop, I don't know, 100, 150 megawatts,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you load shed, you start load shedding immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, so availability of power is really important. Now, the notion that if you, I mean, look at South Africa today, I think they've just gone into stage six load shedding. Um, I spent a bit of time there in December. And there are days when you have six hours of electricity. it, It is having a huge effect on the economy. Yeah? Now, you actually have to balance two things. The cost of your power and the availability of your power. Yeah? Right now, the notion that we can say we're going to terminate the thermals and kind of move on is, is a, it's fantastical. Like it, 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 you, you're basically saying you want to start load shedding. Yeah? A more practical approach, in my view, is to say, can we convert these plants to natural gas? Mm-hmm. It's cleaner, it's going to be cheaper. They are already located in, in areas that are you know, significant uh, drivers of load for the, for the system. So even if you were to, to make changes to the plant, you don't have to build new substations. Yeah? So all you're doing is is, is, is reconfiguring perhaps the, the, the plant itself. So so for me, and 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 again, we talked about this earlier, we still have what, 10 gigawatts of installed standby generator capacity. Mm-hmm. So the 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 key is to think about how to sustainably build a resilient system, yeah? yeah? And and put in place measures that progressively Mm -hmm. make the tariff, uh, drive the tariff down. And you can only do that when you find efficiencies in every part of the system, not just generation. Mm -hmm. Generation is probably the easiest. Distribution is a lot harder, yeah? And, And no data that we have tells us that transmission is a problem right now. Yeah, so I think the two big ones are generation, and distribution and distribution is a lot harder. Yeah.
0: Thank you for that. Uh, Engineer I mentioned about 45% and I know for a fact that fuel energy charge takes up about 35% of our power bills. And you know sometimes you are in discussions people wonder we seem to generate 92 over 90% of our energy from renewable energy sources. And it's not clear, is there a correlation between our sources of energy and this charge? Is there a correlation or a disconnect? Is there any relationship between these two? Because how come we are generating mostly from renewable energy sources and we have 35% really going to fuel energy consumption?
2: I think you have to look at uh, the level of dispatch for the thermals and correlate it to, to your fuel cost charge because you, the, I mean, I think the, the number, what, seven, it's about seven shillings now, just over seven? Yes. So if you look at KPLC's sales for 2021, 2022, if, if all of those sales uh, incurred a seven shilling, just about seven shilling uh, for your cost charge, mm-hmm. you're talking about 60 billion shillings a year. Yeah, that's an insane number. And it's telling you actually that it's making the case for even building a new uh, gas plant. Mm-hmm. It you can act you can actually finance it yourself yeah. <laughs> based on those numbers. True. Yeah. So there is a reconfiguration that, that can be done, in my view, because what this what this is telling you is that. Mm, you've you've become big enough that you can think a little bit differently about how your system is configured from a generation point of view, and you can use the existing uh, plants that you have, and the, the the you've you've got a very you know robust pipeline of renewable energy projects. I think it's about two gigawatts now of signed uh, PPAs. so you can also dip into that and say how how can we accelerate this so that um, one it starts to mitigate. The cost it starts to mitigate availability. We 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 spoke at length earlier before we started about just how you know, especially West Kenya, applications for connections take forever, mm. um, and even after you get connected, yeah. the reliability is quite yeah. quite low. It's not. Yeah. Something so yeah. So 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 I think we need to think a bit longer term. Um, yes, there might be short term pressure mm-hmm. to because I mean. The significant cost of living issue that needs to be dealt with, but the solutions are almost always medium to long term, and and you you kind of track your way down as as you become more and more efficient across the various mm-hmm. elements of the of the system. Yeah. Maybe just a s- slight addition to what he's saying. Mm-hmm. I can
1: already hear that we are on the same page. Um, what I don't understand is, we know we take around. 72 billion per year because of paying for fuel costs. And uh, he has said clearly that that is enough money to build another plant. Now, we also know that we still have uh, 863 megawatts from geothermal, but we still have more in stock over 7,000. 7,000 to 10,000. Now, if you look at the operation of a geothermal, it doesn't have day and night like wind. It is if you want it to be on standby, it will be on standby. If you, I mean, it meets all areas because, like now, the the, the insulation for the for the geothermal is 28 percent. Yet it is one that gives us over 40 percent of the generation. Now you look at the thermos; they are giving us 12 percent. Yet they are taking about. 45% of the cost. I know you're saying 35%, but Forex is also tied to those IPPs that yes, do that because they, we, we signed the PPAs in uh, euros yeah. and dollars. Mm-hmm. So we have to foot the difference between the mm-hmm. time they were signed and right now, which the dollar mm-hmm. is 120-something shillings. Now, if you remove that component, that bit would come in handy. And we need to be having this discussion of, instead of doing an extension of the railway from Naivasha to wherever, how much money is that? How much does it take to sink a whole 1,000 megawatt of geothermal. And then uh, we'll not. everybody will feel the effect of that, rather than when you do uh, some other project. So, prioritization of these projects is supposed to be based on which is going to affect more people mm-hmm. within the country, not just a few of them. So, uh, but basically, um, I think it's a whole discussion we're supposed to have around it and see which is the best option. Yeah. Thank you. Then.
0: Thank you for speaking to the disadvantage. That's a conversation for another day, let's keep that Eric. No <laughs> the other thing is about showing up demand. You know, Africa is considered like a hub of renewable energy sources and Kenya we're doing so well with geothermal, which we kept referring to, with wind, uh, solar and others. So I'd like to know in relation with demand, this is for you Eric, what is the basis of energy sector projects? How do we plan in relation to demand?
2: Um, actually, the way the, 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 the basic uh, thinking behind the planning DAO is 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 historic. Looking at historical data around uh, around your your loads and and forecasting based on some sort of growth number, whether it's CPIX or 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 you know GDP growth. Um, and 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 that's 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 basically there. there. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm oversimplifying it a, b- a bit, yeah. but but that's the thinking. Yeah. Um, so one and one of the and this was actually in the in the PPA task force report that was released uh, 2020 September 2021. Yes, is that what that fails to do? If if that's the approach that you take, it's fine if it's in a mature system. Mm-hmm. Our system is it in infancy right? Yeah. So you have to include other other factors such as new connection applications. So if you've got one and a half, two gigawatts worth of new connection applications, that has to be put into your planning. Because mm-hmm. what you're saying, if you don't include it, is that, you know, these folks who are looking to get connected, are not going to get connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah? You, you have to factor in, you know, what I was talking about earlier, the the use the installation and use of standby diesel generators, yeah, yeah? because that is actually what is it's an opportunity cost mm-hmm. because you're forcing people to generate power for themselves because they can't rely on the grid mm-hmm. yeah so so if you build up these components you you'll see that even the base from which you start your projections is a very different one yeah. yeah. Um, And then maybe you have a chance of getting to sufficiency. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think we're anywhere close to sufficiency. Mm -hmm. There's a statistic that if you look at uh, Kenya's macroeconomic uh, fundamentals, you know, GDP growth, um, you know, even the social uh, dimensions of, you know, healthcare mortality rate. Mm -hmm. The one statistic that is a massive outlier is consumption. Consumption. We are at... under 170 kilowatt hours per annum per capita mm-hmm. in a country that has over 70% uh, electrification. Yeah. That's lower than Zimbabwe. That's lower than Zambia. That's lower than, than countries that are fundamentally different in a different place economically. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, the, the only way to, to, to explain yeah. that is that we just do not have enough uh, grid electricity available, mm-hmm. and and when we when we do those numbers, we don't count. Um, and maybe we, this is some one of the things that we need to look at. We need to actually get data on the the use of of standby generators, mm-hmm. and most as particularly amongst industrial, commercial, yeah. uh, and large residential, mm-hmm. because that statistic should should inform our planning. Should inform um, our our macroeconomic uh, data around the sector itself. Mm -hmm.
0: Talking about data, we are currently being guided by the least cost development plan. And this was centered around Vision 2030. We are like seven years shy. So uh, are we still on course or do we need to relook at our strategies so that we get the most out of our planning system?
2: Um, I think... And, and you'll hear this, I mean, I've heard this over the years so many times that, uh, you know, the planning was based on Vision 2030 and a lot of those projects mm-hmm. didn't happen, Kansas City, that's the, it's the line you hear over and over again. Um, but if, if you step back and say, you know, what's the underlying assumption there? The underlying assumption is that the key driver of growth is the public sector. Mm-hmm. Now in the white paper, we flip that around and we say the key driver of growth is the private sector, not the public sector. It's new investment. I don't think there's a sector that has more investment appetite in absolute dollar terms than energy right now, and especially energy in Kenya. And this is across generation, transmission, distribution. Now we have to be, from a from a you know where 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 public sector comes is that from a policy point of view, you need to show enough direction for the investors to say, ah, we see where you're going and we see, mm-hmm. you know, what you're trying to do, yeah, and make sure that that policy direction is is kept to, and where you vary, it's clear why you varied, mm-hmm. right? But but that's the contribution to, to start unlocking this capital that's sitting outside saying we want to come and play in this sector. We want to come and invest in this sector. Yeah, but that only happens, and that only happens at scale when your policy is clear, when your programming is well-defined, yeah, and when your processes, and this is everything from how you contract new capacity, for instance. The, the two countries on the continent that are getting the the most competitive tariffs in renewable. Morocco, South Africa.
0: Why is that?
2: Because they have deliberately set up a mechanism that is an independent mechanism um, or institutional arrangement for contracting new capacity. In South Africa, it's called the IPP office. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who define the program uh, and actually conduct the exercise. It's a reverse auction. Um, and in, in Morocco there's an organization called MASSEN, mm-hmm. which was set up specifically for that as, as the driver of renewable energy for the country and what that means is that it, it, it sets you up to be able to to define genuinely competitive processes um, and that's when you start getting efficiencies in generation that the river was talking about
0: yep.
2: yeah yeah can you take um, well I've, I've
1: tried to listen on uh, the various, what other countries are doing. And uh, I, I think we should move with uh, our neighbors here in Ethiopia. They're even selling us power. Um, they sold us that power at around 7 shillings. It was US cents or something, so it will keep on varying, but between 7-8 shillings there. Mm-hmm. You realize that uh, I, I know it is an agreement, it is a regional agreement for the power, security and all that. But I keep on asking myself, were they selling that at a profit or were they selling as an agreement? Because it therefore means uh, it makes sense to be connected to Ethiopia, the whole of this country, rather than paying 26 shillings. Now, what Ethiopia has done, because uh, Ethiopia even sells to its consumers around four shillings. Now, let's leave Ethiopia alone. Go to India. Is India paying... Uh, such an amount of money that we are paying? No. But, and that is what has promoted the industrialization in that country. Mm -hmm. If you come back to Kenya, we've lost several investors because of the cost of power and especially how it has been structured. Now, I agree uh, that uh, the public sector is going to take quite a bit of, uh, of that power and it's going to make it sustainable. But even as we are having those standby generators, it's because we do not have people who demand power throughout for it to be. Actually, the, the 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 capacity we have put for standby generators, those ones we are saying the most by the IPPs. You know, you only utilize 23%. we only utilise twenty three percent. We utilise them twenty three percent of the time. But remember, it is because that we may not require that power right now. But when it comes to around ten pm, I mean uh, seven pm to ten pm. That is when everybody requires power, because of darkness. I think Kenya is a dark country, because it is only that time that you will tell, it's the bulbs that are demanding for this. That's the only time you might find that uh, all those thermos are being told, please, pick on, pick on. When it, there is light, they will be idle. So as a result, we use them for 23%, and that is data that we have. So this, we need to look at what do we do with 77%. Because we still pay them, even when they are not generating, by the way. It's, it's, we, we pay them because they are on standby. So probably that is what is making power expensive, even making others, other investors keep off. Whereas uh, maybe we could find a which could not be charging us. And these PPAs, the way they are signed, the take or pay, that, that kind of an arrangement is what, again, makes power expensive. So we just need to pay for what we use. And that is how this power is going to be a bit chip.
2: So so I think there's we we need to think a lot a lot, a lot energy is an enabler of an economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's you you have to think about what is this economy gonna look like twenty years from now. Yeah. Now it's it's been stated over and over and over again that this administration is going to drive manufacturing. Yeah. Today, if you wanted to build a 150 megawatt steel processing plant, you couldn't. Because we cannot, we can't give you firm power for steel right now at that number. We just don't, we don't have the headroom. I give you the statistic from from August. Yeah. So What are you saying as a sector then? Are you saying that you are not going to enable this industrial growth that is part of the economic agenda of of the government of the day? And it goes back to the question of planning. Yeah, If your planning baseline doesn't start by accommodating that agenda, and it needs to be explicit, so you say, okay, Um, Because we're driving manufacturing in these sectors, Mm -hmm. we estimate that that investment is going to require X thousand megawatts. And here is how we are providing for it. And you measure and you monitor and you make sure that the progress is is being made across those dimensions. Because there is no manufacturer who's going to come and say, I'm going to set up a plant and wait for you to have the available power. It makes no sense. So
0: supply should precede
2: it demand. Always, mm. always precedes demand. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah? And, and there's something else that I said mm-hmm. that um, around Ethiopia. You know, the challenge with Ethiopia is because of how they contract um, and, and build their large plants, it's it's difficult to to say this is the this is the actual cost of generation. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a deliberate government strategy that says we'll subsidize. Mm-hmm. But you don't even know the level of the subsidy because you don't know what the, the true cost is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Ethiopia, Kenya, Tanzania line is going to be important in terms of starting to create interdependencies. Because one of the ways to build resilience is to create those interdependencies. Because when your system is down, then your neighbor can help you. More importantly, Um, looking at the regional power pools, the Eastern African power pool, um, once it's complete and connected to the Southern African power pool, you can actually foresee a scenario where you build a plant here to supply South Africa. Yeah, Mm. and so it's important that we do not get obsessed with relatively, in my view, small, you know, issues Mm. that are quite parochial and that can be dealt with relatively you know, quickly with a, with, a, with a few key decisions being made, and think about the bigger picture and say, how is it that we can start to you know, create dynamic power markets? Yeah. So that you, you say, well, um, even when I look at developing new capacity, I'm not just looking at Kenya, I'm looking at DRC, mm-hmm. I'm looking at Zambia, looking at Zimbabwe, because the system is interconnected. Mm-hmm yeah so so i think it's 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 important that we kind of raise the level um and we don't get lost in the weeds because of these of of these issues that have been dogging us for, for years yeah. Yeah. but
1: quick to mention that yeah. uh we the cost that we are discussing based on the domestic lifeline consumer is 37% the whole of that arrangement is not going to tell us what 67%, I think 63% is going, because it's a collection. Uh, many people tell me when I go around the media, they tell me Kenya Power is a collection agency for the government. So whatever we are mentioning about the, uh, the power pool and our neighbors, remember there is nowhere we'll be talking about Warma, Epra, uh, and those other things. So if we need to really focus on the cost of power, that is where the discussion would be interesting. But we have so much baggage that is not related to our neighbors, because the fuel cost, the forex, and all those things. I would be happy if we are interconnected, because we will we'll get rid of all those things that we are saying. For example, the three components are now 9.86. Yet that person paying those components that are inflation, forex, and uh, fuel cost, that person is paying 7.7 to Kenya power, and then paying 9.86 to those... Three items, you've not even factored in uh, the VAT and the rest of and warmer and such other things. So, let the, I, I would want the discussion even in future to be: What do we do with this 9.86? Because we don't have a problem with the 7.7. 7. People should be clear on what is expensive in this power mm-hmm. and addressing the 9.86. There is nothing that that arrangement is going to do to attack them. Unless, of course, we get rid of the IPPs that are using them. So that that is the bottom line. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Um, to my last question, I'll go back to policy. And one of the sectors that you've seen have very favorable policies is clean cooking. And this was bolstered by the Finance Bill of 2021. Yes. But still, we are not seeing as much uptick of clean cooking technologies as we should because the incentives are there, the policy is very favorable. In your opinion, what can we do to have more uptake of clean cooking technologies?
1: Right. Um, Clean cooking actually is having some very good campaigns and we are trying to uh, request or urge our consumers to use electricity for cooking. Mm. Unfortunately, um, the numbers, as my colleague mentioned, is that we have come from 25% to around 76% connectivity right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But the demand, the increase has not informed an equal increase in demand. So we are saying we have connected a customer, and then that customer is taking two little for you to realize equivalent demand. You might find that there is one client, one, who is taking 18 megawatt, one client. Now, the kind of a community that would be taking 18 megawatt, you would find like, they are likely to be almost 100,000 customers. Mm -hmm. Now, those customers, the reason why I'm saying that when we are talking about clean cooking is that people will not want, those people who are reached by electricity, they are in the countryside where firewood is available, or they have other ways in which they can cook. And so, um, unless you are telling the industries to cook, then it will be very difficult for you to tell someone, my grandmother in the countryside, to use electricity, yet she was only minding about the bulb, and sometimes she can even put it on because the firewood is lighting very well. So it is, that is what is difficult. But again, with the current, uh, um, the current uproar that electricity is very expensive, again, remember, it, it may not even go far because when you use more than 100 kilowatt hours, you start paying 26 shillings. If you use less than 100 kilowatt hours, you pay 20 shillings. What would be that a motivation for you to take yourself to the bracket paying higher because of cooking? It's actually going to be retrogressive. So I can't try to support that if there is that difference in the 100 kilowatt hours over 100 and less than 100 because cooking will take you to the bracket that is more expensive. So even as they are trying to promote the clean cooking, let it be known that they need to do something about the policy on that tariff alone.
2: Thank you. Um, I think one, one of the uh, you know kind of demographic um, considerations is that the 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 folks who are affected most by by you know not having access to clean cooking, are basically women and children, right? Um, and you know there's, there's an element of shifting consumer behavior here. Mm-hmm. Now, if we say that we want to move them to electricity, cooking like electricity, um, cost is one factor, but the more the more salient factor here is reliability. So if you cannot provide reliable, stable power, mm-hmm. households are not going to change their behavior. Because if, if you're intending to cook at a certain time every day, and the power is on and off, you'll go to the means of cooking that is more reliable. And in fact, there's a study that was done, I think it was like five, six years ago, um, that actually shows on a per unit basis, if you were to quantify the energy consumption on a per unit basis, the households that have multiple solutions, mm-hmm. firewood, charcoal, maybe even kerosene, and some electricity. Pay a lot more on a per unit basis. If you have options, you pay more? You end up paying more. How? Why? On a per unit basis. Because if you add the numbers, mm. yeah, it's actually more expensive than just using electricity. But the electricity, for many of them, is not a real option. Mm. Yeah? Mm. Now, thankfully, electricity is not the only solution um, you know you're, you're starting to see emerging companies doing you know ethanol based
0: mm-hmm. biogas yeah?
2: biogas mm-hmm. yeah. In fact um the company called Coco which mm-hmm. has grown you know hugely they are now at
0: yeah, ethanol yeah,
2: yeah ethanol 400 oh, 400 500,000 yeah. homes mm-hmm. now um but i think there's a lot more that can be done to to encourage um, households especially mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. move to, to cleaner cooking uh, methods, mm-hmm. but in as far as electricity is concerned until you deal with reliability mm-hmm. it's a hard sell. Even to add just a little bit is that uh,
1: 1 kilowatt hour is going to cost say about 26 shillings. Generating 1 kilowatt hour on firewood you have bought cannot even go beyond 5 shillings generating 1 kilowatt hour. And a kilowatt hour is simply saying what is the cost of raising this water from this degree to this degree water of like three liters. Mm-hmm. That is how you calculate. You use electricity, you're going to find that you're using five times more than firewood. Now, let's go to people who are not collecting firewood. They are also buying tea factories. Tell them to use electricity to generate steam using the boiler. They will close down. That is why they opt to use firewood they have bought regardless of how expensive it can go, mm-hmm. even briquettes themselves, as they are running at 12 shillings per kg, that is still way cheaper than electricity. And that's why you see how many countries in this world are using electricity to generate steam, because it is thermal energy that we are looking for. There will, they will be always cheaper alternatives all the time. Mm-hmm. And so uh, until tea factories start using electricity to, to generate steam, mm-hmm. it's not going to be cheaper, it's not going to even inform any grandmother near a tea factory to start using it to, to cook. So th- that is that simple. So someone should do the math and understand that much you are encouraging them, but it's not going to be very simple for them to shift unless you have shown them practically and it cannot be shown. Technically, I know it is not going to be cheaper
0: so it still goes back to sustainable prices and reliability
1: exactly.
0: thank you so much gentlemen it has been a, an absolute pleasure to have you on Saturday. today that is eric wangi uh, advisor to the cabinet secretary minister of energy in kenya and engineer isaac Ndereba from the electricity consumer society of kenya if i could perhaps have your very brief parting shots
1: um, um what i will say i will talk to two people and uh, those two people is going to be the consumer, the jiku, the hustler, and then the next person will be the government. Um, let me start with the government. That The people had a lot of hope in uh, the promise that power is going to be cheaper. They had hope because they thought industries would open, and so they would get employment. They had hope because they thought that even for them, the power usage would be cheaper. That is not what is happening. They are very worried. Now, for Anjiko, um, we would want to make you understand that the government is busy trying to look into how they are going to make power cheaper. They may have, they may take time. Uh, but unfortunately, as your consumer representative, I do not have very clear path into how you are going to achieve that, but we are in consultation with the parliament, and uh, we are of course going to have a discussion with the members of the National Assembly. Uh, we have had a busy day with them, and we are hoping they are going to put some registrations which are going to uh, make us uh, realize some cheaper prices. Uh, but we have to see. We may not have to push without thinking on the effect of making it so cheap, but of course uh, we also want to see that there are some areas that can be done and so the power can be a little bit affordable. Thank you very much. Thank you.
2: Thanks. I think you know this comes back to to the issue of what what has been accepted as as the basis on which investments are made in the sector, and that's cost-reflective tariffs. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's one of the big factors that drive investment um, in the sector, and has done so over the last 20, 25 years, that investors actually believe um the economics are sustainable in the long run but i think we we are at a crossroads now um and we cannot keep doing things the way we've always done them and that's a big reason why even the the white paper was drafted mm-hmm. is to say can we uh show a picture of what kenya could look like in 2014 um and just in terms of headline numbers in in the, in, the, in the paper, we say we think we can get to uh, 100 gigawatts um, and attract about $300 billion of investment and actually get, be able to get a sustainable um, household tariff at, you know, 50% of where we are today. Um, in our view, I mean, it's, it's funny because in our view, those are not, you know, they're not modest uh, ambitions, Right? Um, and, and we believe that if we chart this course and, and kind of from a policy point of view, uh, and not just policy, but also institutional arrangements, um, start to drive efficiencies in the, in the different parts of, of, of the sector, the, the tariff goals will be achievable in the medium term, more importantly, We can drive investment and and help grow the economy and create all of these jobs that are actually needed yeah but you have to lead from from the front
0: it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you gentlemen this is the power dialogue a show that celebrates africa's leading voices outliers and pioneers in the energy sector across the continent thank you so much for joining us i look forward to your questions and comments on this topic. The Power Dialogue is available as the Power Dialogue across all social media platforms. Remember to subscribe, to share, to leave a comment. Until the next one, thank you so much and Kwaheri.